Welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, PK, and alongside me this week, uh, we have Wick Terrell and Eric Roseberry. Hey, guys. What's up? How's it going? <laughs> hey. Didn't, uh, didn't want to drag out the intros uh, too much this week. I know uh, with the trade deadline, there's so much to talk about. Uh, the Reds are right kind of in the thick of their season. Uh, the All-Star break was a week ago from when we were recording. Um, so the Reds have just played uh, basically one homestand of worth of games and have lost, what is it, six, six, <laughs> six of the seven of the games? So uh, six, Been outscored 61 to 20 in the process. Yeah, so uh, things are on the field. Uh, we might not really have a ton to talk about with uh, this current 2017 Reds team, but... There's a lot going on behind the scenes, uh, a lot going on with the trade deadline, just, uh, what, a week and a half away. So um, a lot of movement, potentially, um, and then kind of what to, what we can expect from the rest of the red season. So um, I think let's, let's kick it off with uh, the big news of today that um, Zach Buchanan from the Enquirer uh, had something about Scooter Jeanette will be the everyday second baseman for the time being. Uh, Jose Peraza is now benched. Just initial thought, reaction to uh, that news. Well, I think it's, it's, it's something that um, if you just look at what the Reds have done so far this season and you look at what Scooter Jeanette's provided for the Reds offensively specifically, um, and you look at how well Zach Cozart has played is also, uh, if you're choosing to optimize a lineup at this point in time, um, assuming you're facing right-handed pitching, it's hard not to suggest that an infield of Suarez uh, at third, Cozart at short, uh, Scooter at second, and Joey at first – um, is anything other than the best lineup the Reds can put out there. So I, I think that's it, it's kind of a affirmation of the obvious. Um, but the fact is that you know the 2017 season for Jose Peraza was less about uh, the stat line that he put up at the end of the season and more about his development. Um, you know, I actually I, I was tweeting out a minute ago uh, a comparison between him and you know 2015 number one overall draft pick Dansby Swanson, who's a shortstop prospect who has come up with the Atlanta Braves. They've had a comparable amount of time in the big leagues, um, and so much was expected of Swanson. Uh, probably a significant more so than Jose Peraza, uh, but they perform pr- almost exactly the same um, uh, on a general level. Uh, through their first year and a half as professionals in, in baseball. And I think with the Reds, um, they're kind of stuck between uh, giving Peraza uh, as many everyday at-bats as he needs to get to continue to develop um, and also kind of showcasing Zach Cozart before the trade deadline, which is in 11 days. Um, but that's also probably, if anything, it's helping showcase Scooter Jeanette before that trade deadline too. And I'm not suggesting Scooter's actively been swapped or, or shopped on the uh, the trade market, uh, but considering what the Reds paid to get him, which was nothing other than picking him up off of waivers, um, there's you know very few players that have ever been picked up off of waivers and immediately provided what Scooter Jeanette's provided through the first 95 games of a season. So uh, I think the Reds would be uh, foolish not to at least 
market and listen on Scooter Jeanette before the trade deadline. Um, because for the same reason the Reds were interested in bringing him in as a bench bat uh, that could hit left-handed and hit right-handed pitching and play a couple positions, um, there are a lot of contending teams out there that would probably have a lot of interest in what Scooter's done so far this season, too. So uh, if anything, this seems to me like uh, pushing their two most marketable assets to the front of the scenario uh, with that July 31st trade deadline pending um, and less about what they're going to do for the entire rest of the season. Because after July 31st, uh, who knows what's happening? Who knows if Cozart and Scooter are both gone, one gone, whatever. Uh, but I do anticipate seeing Jose Peraza back in the lineup every day after that. Um, but for now, it kind of seems like the Reds are just trying to kind of market their assets as best as they can. Yeah, I think what makes me more nervous with this than anything is uh, you kind of hoped uh, Peraza would take a little step forward from what he was able to do in a part of a season last year. Uh, and in a lot of ways, he's kind of taken a step back. Uh, walk rates at 1.7%, which I didn't even know was possible for a major league hitter to have that. Yeah. But strikeout rates up, contact rates down, kind of all the measurables you'd want to see trending in the right direction. Now, he's only 23. This is his first full season. So uh, there's no reason to, I think, hit the panic button just yet. But in terms of if you're looking at the metrics that at least show signs of a better approach at the plate, uh, that is not happening for him this year. Right. And I, I think that you know, at this point in the season, it's there's there's still plenty of baseball to be left to be played. Um, you know, you don't know um, what's going to happen with Scooter, as as you said, Wick. So, you know, if if it makes sense to kind of sit him on the bench, give him some, you know, let him take in a couple of games, let him pinch hit a couple of times, and just kind of ease him back into. Uh, to being an everyday player, you know, maybe that's, that's a way to get his confidence up and get him, as you said, Eric, going back in the right direction. I think that's kind of the priority for the Reds right now. And just running him out there day in, day out, wasn't going to produce that result. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's a perfectly valid, uh, explanation i think scooter Jeanette has absolutely earned you know the playing time that he's receiving and uh it's i'm totally fine with it for the time being yeah i mean we're also let's be honest we're 90 games removed from uh the end of last season when uh jose peraza was coming off hitting 324 352 mm -hmm. 411 and scooter Jeanette was in the process of being dfa'd so um it's not like this is a career ender this isn't like a uh, a fork in the sand where both players take opposite directions in their careers continue on that route for the time being. Uh, this is purely a small sample size factor, but one that's become gradually large enough uh, to suggest that it should at least be given a chance. And so I commend Brian Price for being open to that. Uh, you know, I, there's a part of me that says, I wish you would have done it earlier, but at the same time, he's been very good about getting Scooter Jeanette into the lineup and getting him time at multiple different positions to make sure he still had those opportunities out there. Um, I, and it's because of that, that I trust that he'll still get Jose Peraza in there as well, too. Um, you know, he's got experience last year with trying to get Peraza at bats, uh, uh, you know, in various places sporadically because the rest of the lineup was, was there and was playing every day and he still found a way to get him enough at bats to where uh, we saw the promise and we, you know, we were optimistic about this season to begin with. So uh, I think if anything, you'll see Peraza kind of take on the role that Scooter has taken to date 
And obviously, we've seen enough of Scooter to date to have him be able to produce as much as he has. So uh, I don't think this is the death knell of Jose Peraza's 2017. Uh, it just might be he's starting four times a week instead of six times a week and getting pinched opportunities in those other games, which... All told, given his production, that's still enough playing time to, to warrant being on the big league roster and not, quote-unquote, stun his development. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, when you look at what happened, uh, what he did with Jose Peraza last year, I mean, Peraza played in four different positions, kind of just just like Scooter has this year. So it's not entirely inconceivable that, you know, he'll find some starts for Peraza at the center, he'll find some, you know, play some third maybe and you know hey who knows there might be a spot open at shortstop that you know Peraza and Jeanette are your your double play combo for the next couple months so yeah and um, given given how short most of the starters go in their their outings there's going to be ample chance for double switches for the last half of every game <laughs> between yeah. now and, and all that sorts of stuff out too so I, I'm not worried about not seeing Jose Peraza if anything it's just an endorsement of what Scooter's done so far this year and I think that that's totally totally uh in line and uh one speaking of uh potential playing time at shortstop uh you know Zach Cozart has been mentioned a lot as a possible trade deadline candidate. Um, the Reds came out today, or the news came out today, I should say. I don't think the Reds probably wanted it out, but um, Ken Rosenthal came out and said that uh, the Reds are not planning on re-signing Jose, or, uh, Zach Cozart after the season. So it really seems to, seems to be the case that they will try and trade him before the deadline, uh, I think that probably makes more sense than keeping him all season and letting him go for nothing. But um, who who could possibly be in the market for a Zach Cozart right now? Oh, that's I, I, if you ask the Reds front office that they'd probably have like a an eighteen month long logbook of the phone calls they've made trying to pitch Zach Cozart to other teams because it's. It's weird. It's not like it's a, a shortstop renaissance where every team has this all-star caliber shortstop. Uh, but so many teams have good shortstops. And it seems the rebuilding teams have ones that they're committed to letting grow long term, much like the Reds have Jose Peraza right now. Uh, you know, the Reds without Zach Cozart wouldn't be looking to trade for the current edition of Zach Cozart. And there's a lot of teams out there like the Reds currently are. Um, and then you look at the top of the, uh, every division and you look at the wildcard teams and there aren't a whole lot of obvious fits there either. Um, you know, Houston has come up because Carlos Correa, you know, screwed his thumb up and it's going to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, but they've got uh, in-house options galore. Uh, uh, and they've also got Alex Bregman, um, who came up as a shortstop and is kind of the Nick Senzel of his class. Uh, so, you know, that's not the the necessary uh, obvious fit that you might hope for uh, because an injury opens up an opportunity that wasn't obviously there beforehand. Uh, the same kind of goes in Washington. Um, you know, Washington has in-house options that they can use at least to, to bide their time. And both the Astros and Nationals have such huge leads 
in their particular division. Uh, they picking up Cozart for the cost that the Reds would hope to bring in um, is such a marginal improvement uh, with a window that they've got that's so so much bigger than that margin that it just doesn't seem to be an obvious uh, uh, chance out there for the Reds to uh, to make a splash and trade for this you know shiny new prospect uh, the way that they probably have hoped to do over the last year and a half. So um, I, I I hope. For both sides involved, I would love to see Zach Cozart go to a team that would allow him to uh, to feature prominently in the postseason and down a stretch and all the above, because uh, he's a player who I think is is worthy of that and is obviously having a career season. And I would also love for the Reds to be able to get a player back in return. Um, you know, I, I, but I just don't I don't see an obvious fit there, uh, despite the fact that you know when you look up at most players that get marketed as quote unquote rental players on the cusp of free agency. So many of them are making a lot of money in their final arbitration year. Uh, like you look at J.D. Martinez, who's making what, like 12, 13 million bucks this season. Uh, and he was the big outfield bat that just got moved to Arizona. Uh, Cozart, because of uh, his defense kind of being more valuable in his offense over the years and because of the injuries he's had, is only making about 5 million bucks right now, which means adding him for any team that's looking to contend, uh, it, he's not cost prohibitive for, for any of the contenders out there, be they a big market team or a small market team. Um, so literally he is available and uh, uh, capable of being had by every team out there um, for a cost that's not going to break the bank, yet still there doesn't seem to be an obvious fit there. Um, and so I'm, I'm, that's the, the, the 11 days we've got left between now and the deadline. I am terribly interested to see what the Reds choose to do with Cozart because there's not an obvious fit. And if they keep him, they're not going to give him a qualifying offer, at least according to Rosenthal today, which means they're really rolling the dice on just saying, hey, maybe we're not going to get anything for one of the best assets we've had at a trade deadline in years. Yeah, I mean, looking at the standings, like you mentioned, there's not an obvious fit among playoff teams. The only team... Uh, I can think of, and I don't even know that they're looking as if Minnesota decides they want to go for it. Um, they're hey, probably hey, going to have to sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but they're about to trade for Jaime Garcia as we're typing this right now, too. So maybe they are going for it. Maybe they, you know that's one rental they're looking to pick up right now. Maybe they would be interested in a guy like Cozart. Yeah, I mean, as you if you look at their roster right now, Jorge Polanco is not doing anything offensively. And if they just decide for this season we want a short-term upgrade that's not going to cost us as much as some others might, uh, that would be maybe the only team I could see really needing an upgrade at shortstop that has a shot at a playoff spot. And that could be true. I mean, they, they opted to hold on to Brian Dozier, uh, you know, after his fantastic season last year, uh, despite the fact that, you know, he was in theory a very marketable asset on a team that wasn't supposed to be very good this year. Um, and, you know, he's got a what uh, he's he's uh, team controlled through uh, 2018. So they got one more year with their their star second baseman. Um, and they're performing pretty well overall as a team. They're trading for Garcia. Maybe that becomes that one kind of mystery team that comes out and says, hey, we'll add a couple guys and see what happens and go for it. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the, the AL Central kind of becomes that target division for this because it's the only division in baseball outside of the Red Zone division, which, you know, odds are they're not going to trade Cozart to a division rival. Uh, that's the only other division out there that kind of seems – uh, not totally wide open, but uh, capable of being had. And I, you know, I think the Twins might look up and say, "Hey, uh, if the if the Kansas City Royals aren't going to sell off, they're going to keep all of their their litany of 
free agents to be. Uh, maybe we can go toe to toe with them and hope Cleveland just continues to not perform up to the standard, uh, and they can make a run for it. You know, um, the other caveat is speaking of Brian Dozier, since I'm on his Baseball Reference page, uh, he's a process or product of Mississippi as well. Um, and Cozart actually lives in Mississippi, just over the border from Memphis. So um, maybe the two of those 30-year-old middle infielders have more in common than we know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's – I'm looking at – I think the trend of a lot of these, like, top-of-the-division teams that won't be interested in Zach Cozart – or that they have kind of the pre Zach Cozart type players. You know, you look at like Arizona and they, they have Chris Owings, which, you know, Zach Cozart's probably a marginal upgrade over Chris Owings, but also it's probably Zach Cozart, you know, three or four years ago. So, you know, you look right. at, I'm, I, you, I'm kind of curious to see, um, you know, if the Yankees are going to keep adding pieces just to add pieces. But, you know, Didi Gregorius has been pretty good for them. So, you know, as you said, the, it's probably looking like the Twins are going to be the team if there is one, unless somebody really kind of thinks outside the box for a, for a deadline deal. But is there, is there any other uh, Reds players that we think could potentially move by July 31st? I think Drew Storen is kind of in that, uh, you know, the role where, where Jonathan Broxton was several years ago, which was um, he's going to get traded. Uh, we'll eat as much money as you need to, but just get something back for him because he's not going to be a part of the team going forward. Storen's obviously making less money this year than Broxton was at that point in time, and they're different pitchers. Uh, but I do think as a pure rental, the Reds paid $3 million to sign Drew Storen, not to get what Drew Storen was going to give them for 162 games this year. They signed him in hopes that he would be good enough just to get somebody younger that they could control beyond 2016 for. So, you know, they might trade him for a guy who's nowhere close to a top 30 prospect from some other team's system. Um, But I do think that's somebody the Reds will absolutely cash in on. And it will probably be somebody you've never heard of before either. But it'll be a young guy that they want because they don't have Drew Storen after this year anyway. They sign him for that purpose. Um, I think Scott Feldman was one of those guys as well. And up until the knee issue that put him on the DL earlier this week, he probably couldn't have performed any better for the Reds than he had to that point. So uh, I think that becomes the other big question mark, which is, you know, we're not going to have him for the rest of this year. Uh, uh, or we're going to have him for the rest of this year unless we can trade him. Um, but I'm not sure they want to have him for the rest of this year because there's so many other young arms they want to give innings too. So uh, where does he fit if you keep him? Um, is he healthy enough to get anything for at this point in time? But that's kind of the other big question I think Dick Williams is going to have to deal with, which is um, how healthy is Feldman? When's the next time he's going to pitch? And how much can you pitch that to other teams to get uh, you know just that that additional value in return uh, from a complete wild card to maybe a sort of established prospect? Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it with with Feldman, it's it really depends on when he can pitch again, and if there's an opportunity to get him a start before the deadline, just to kind of show other GMs that he's healthy and you're not going to break down on him. I think that you know maybe he could be a 
potential candidate at that point. But right, it doesn't really make any sense for the Reds to keep him at this point. Um, you know, but they can't trade him while he. You know, they're not they're not going to find a suitor to get them the value that they need out of him uh, while he's yeah. on the DL, like just the way he is. Yeah. So. And, um, but I, the, the, ca- the, ca- the caveat with that is is that he's got a a four fifty one FIP and a four thirty four ERA this year against a four thirty nine FIP and four thirty nine ERA for his career, and at thirty four going on thirty five years old, you know Scott Feldman has been this year what he's always been, which has been serviceable fourth fifth starter for any good team. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why he was available as late in the season as he was, or late in the off season as he was for the Reds <laughs> to sign him. I don't think he's done a whole lot to kind of blow anybody away to say, oh, it's a new Scott Feldman. He's worth so much more. So even if he is healthy, I think the Reds are really going to kind of struggle to get, you know, something, uh, uh, a, a name that will move and shake uh, what the Reds prospect uh, uh, system looks like at this point. Um, That doesn't mean they shouldn't still try to cash in on him because I think they certainly should. Uh, But I don't think the return is going to be something, you know, it's not going to be a Dan Sterelli type return where you pick a guy up late and flip him and turn him into Luis Castillo because uh, obviously age and service time factor into that as well. But uh, as good as Feldman has been for what the Reds needed this year, uh, he's been about what you would have expected if you asked any other 30 front office uh, uh, personnel. Actually, and speaking of really the only Reds player that probably could give you back uh, a name that you've heard of, um, you know, Rysel Iglesias' name has been thrown about a lot this trade deadline just as one of the you know, premier relievers in the National League and a guy with still a lot of years locked up. It doesn't sound like the Reds are interested in trading him at all. Uh, it makes a lot more sense to me to keep him for another couple of years. But, um, you know, what are the chances that, that a Rysel Iglesias kind of blockbuster deal could, uh, go down this week? You know, I, the old adage is like teams that aren't good, don't need a closer. Cause you're just paying for, you, you don't need saves if you're only winning 70 games a year. Um, but the flip side of that is a lot of teams don't preemptively buy closers until they know they're going to win a lot more than that. And so a lot of teams that looked up before this season and said, I don't know if we're an 80-win team or a 94-win team, didn't go spend big on closers. Um, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers, for instance, not that Iglesias is going to go to the Brewers, but the Brewers are contending now despite the fact they didn't know they were going to be t- contending. Uh, Minnesota, another team like that. Um, so you pair that with, with a lot of teams that are good and have also seen their relief core struggle. And there's a reason why relievers are always marketable this time of year because – Bad teams don't need them, and good teams desperately want them, especially those that didn't anticipate having to have them. Um, so if I was a GM out there, what do you look for if you're trying to add a reliever? Uh, a guy who's awesome, obviously. A guy who's relatively cheap. A guy you can control for a while. Um, like, Iglesias ticks all of those boxes. Every team in baseball should want to rise up Iglesias. Like, he's that good. Like, whether or not he's your best reliever, if he's not – he's on one of the five or six teams where he's the second best reliever. Uh, so I would, if I'm Dick Williams, heck yeah, I'm, I'm listening to calls on Rysel Iglesias for a team that's 15 games under 500. Uh, albeit I'm listening saying, Hey, for the same reasons you want him, I've got him, and it's going to cost you a hell of a lot to get him. So I would be shocked 
especially based on the comments that he gave to the Inquirer earlier this week, where he said, we're not, we're not shopping him, but we're listening. Um, uh, he should be listening because he should be getting a lot of calls on Iglesias because uh, when you're a bad team with a really good player, good teams are going to call you about him, and that's exactly what Iglesias is. So uh, I'd be surprised, but for Williams, it's almost um, – this, this, this might be one of those fun times to be a, a GM of a bad team because obviously there's going to be a lot of stress in trying to get – as much value as you can out of Cozart and Storin and Feldman and the rental guys. But with Iglesias, you've got the upper hand in every negotiation that ever happens when somebody calls. You could ask for the moon from everyone who calls just to see what they say. And so that's got to kind of be a GM's dream at this point because he doesn't have to move them, uh, but he's certainly going to get calls on them. And you never know. Like there might be a team out there desperate enough to give him the moon and, Dick Williams could be the a legendary GM at that point after pulling off a, a big heist. I, 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 I would trade Russell Iglesias for the moon. If the moon yeah. gets offered, I, w- I would trade him. So, yes. If that comes up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'll say like last year, I remember at the trade deadline, a few of the, the deals that got made for relievers and kind of collectively baseball thinking like, this seems like a lot teams are having to give up for high end. I mean, if, if they're going to get a top prospect, I know he's not. Most teams wouldn't see him in the category of a, a Chapman or anything yet, uh, but you see the the kinds of returns teams were able to get at the deadline last year for these high end relievers. And as much as I would hate to lose them, it, yeah, you have to listen at that point if teams are going to throw those kinds of, of names and 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 prospects out there. Yeah, and I mean, like like for what he's done, the pitches he threw in April and the people he struck out then were every bit as valuable in terms of his season statistics as what he's thrown the last week. Um, but the way he's made some of the Nationals and Diamondbacks hitters look silly over the last week where, you know, the clock is ticking on that, that July 31st trade deadline. Uh, watching what he did to Paul Goldschmidt last night, um, there were, I, whether or not the Reds will admit it, whether or not the Reds even knew, there were infinite numbers of scouts watching that performance. And that was as electric as a reliever can throw to the probable front runner for National League MVP, if not the probable one or two front runners for National League MVP, and he made him look silly, absolutely silly. And, uh, you know, it, it's those little things that, uh, because of the timing of it all, makes it look that much better. And, you know, who knows? If, if, if the Reds look up and say, hey, we can add a top 10 overall prospect and a top 40 overall prospect, and somebody else is going to take the entire salary and we get an A-ball guy who's a wild card but well-regarded, you know, the Reds losing Rysel Iglesias right now, uh, it would hurt, but it doesn't change a whole lot of what they've done over the last three years. Um, and I think that's something that the Reds should consider, but it's going to take a package like that to make it happen. Totally agree. Totally agree. And uh, you threw out the uh, ask for Twitter questions this week. So uh, surprisingly, we got a couple of good ones. Usually, uh, <laughs> usually they're, they're jokes. So... I, I don't I know. I don't know why I am the way I am. I cannot answer that one. <laughs> Slept upside down too much as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but there, Matt. Yeah, Matt Brown gave us a couple of good ones. So uh, let's start with uh, one about Jesse Winker. So how many at bats does uh, Jesse Winker get before September with the Reds? I mean, it feels like not many, and I'm not sure why, but. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of Duvall and Shebler, I'm not who, sure who you're going to move to to give him a ton of at-bats. So I, I think 
he needs them. But I, I think if you had asked the team a year ago, they would not have seen Scott Shebler's season that he's had to date coming along, and he's kind of thrown a monkey wrench in all this. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, he either gets like 50 or fewer, which is probably the uh, – that's probably like a 50% chance. Or I think there's about like that 15 to 20% chance that he gets 210 because somebody comes in and wants to trade for Adam Duvall by the deadline, which not that his name has been kicked out there at all. Um, but of the Reds' current pieces, I think in part because of Winker's presence behind him and in part because his age uh, and his you know he's making league minimum and he's still producing, um, I think it, for the same reason we talked about Iglesias, I think Duvall has s- – kind of the same argument, which is you're not shopping him, but if somebody comes in and says, hey, we want him, um, for the same reason J.D. Martinez got traded, yeah, his contract's different and the return was different, but if somebody really likes Adam Duvall, you listen and you might make that deal. So, uh, you know, I think there's the the slight chance that there's a trade that gets made that opens up time for Jesse Winker to take over in the outfield, in which case he'll play every day and get 210 at-bats over the last, you know, 70 games of the season. Uh, But I think the odds of that happening are pretty small. And if that doesn't happen, then, yeah, how you rotate him in with with Shevler and Billy Hamilton and Duvall, I don't think he gets more than, you know, maybe 70 at-bats between now and the end of the season, even with the September call-ups, just because it's a numbers game and there's a lot of other guys out there that – yeah, are very deserving of, of plate appearances as well. Yeah, and I, I think we had kind of talked about this before the season even started, you know, or even the first time the wicker came up, you know, oh, because it was such a, it was such a surprise at the time. We were like, well, how how are they going to you know rotate all three of these guys? We had kind of talked about like, oh, well, you could give, you know, you could give him a couple of starts in left a week, a couple of starts in right a week. And, you know, give Duvall and Shebler, you know, days off here and there. And, you know, when you go to AL ballparks, you can play all three of them. But at the same time, that really just has not been the case. Um, you know, Duvall and Shebler have both been in there every single day and producing every single day. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. I keep on going back to when we talked to uh, Jamie Ramsey before the season. And he And he was like, uh, look out for Scott Shebler. Like, he was like, "You're gonna be, you're gonna be impressed with uh, the season that Scott Shebler has this year." And we were, we were like, "Oh yeah, sure, sure, Jamie, yeah." Like, but, <laughs> uh, Scott Shebler has been awesome so far. So you know, and that does kind of leave Jesse in the in the lurch a little bit. So I I not, kind not- of tend to think that he'll get more at-bats in Louisville than he will uh, in Cincinnati unless some kind of uh, cataclysmic move happens. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that once rosters expand in September, they'll they'll start to kind of ease off on uh, guys like Duvall and Shebler, and they'll, they'll give uh, Jesse some more time out there. And, and the other caveat in that is, is that uh, uh, Phil Irvin, after having a yeah, massive slump after getting too. called up, like he's on the forty man, he's gonna get a September call up, and he's been knocking the crap out of the ball over the last you know thirty games or so. I just pulled up his stats since his last twenty eight games. He's hitting three fifty two with an on base percentage of four oh nine, and it's like in four eighty six, uh, stealing bases again, um, hitting home runs. Like yeah, that's that's another guy who 
you know, he's not just a wild card. He's a first round draft pick with a 40 man roster spot. And, you know, uh, if it, if no other outfielder gets traded come September, he's another guy who's going to be out there as well. Who's going to at least carve into some of those potential Jesse Winker at bats as well. And so, um, yeah, it just, it's, I, I think the only scenario where you see, Anything other than 50 to 70 is if there's a, a major trade that goes down that we just don't foresee happening right now. So uh, another good question that we got, uh, who in the organization is actually in the starting five rotation to start next season? It's more of a <laughs> forecasting question. but uh, Well, meteorologists aren't very good at forecasting, so, right? So, so, we, many, we can... so many options. <laughs> I mean, assuming so, assuming health, which assuming, is an awful thing to do with this rotation. Yeah, yeah. I would. I think. I think you've got Bailey, uh, Desclafani, Finnegan, and Castillo set. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it's a yeah. it's a fifth option, and and I have no clue who that fifth guy would be. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, mean, I mean, I feel like the the rest of the season's gonna hopefully that's you know as we were talking about with Feldman and. Uh, as decent as Feldman is and has been, if he's still on the team past July 31st, I don't think he's in your starting rotation anymore. I think at that point uh-huh. in time, that's when you've got to you've got to let the the reins off of guys like Reed and Stevenson and Romano and rookie Davis and Amir Garrett and uh, you know heck Tyler Molly if he keeps pitching the way he does into September. You've <laughs> got so many guys that deserve to have those innings and those chances. And Scott Feldman, for as good as he's been for now, like I said, was Drew Storen. The Reds signed him to trade him. They didn't sign him to pitch August and September innings. I think you've got to give it to those guys and just see what the hell happens because you got to sort it out. Like they, like you said, there, there's so many options there that, you know, waiting for uh, what you think you see and feel in, in off-season workouts and what happens in spring training to make that decision between now and the start of 2018 season – that's not enough. You need to see them pitch as much as possible in 2017 while the opportunity is there. And it's clearly there uh, to see what you've got. Um, because if anything, if 2018 is the year that the Reds want to you know, make a push and actually start to contend, if, if you don't give those guys the opportunity over the final 70 games and you don't get to find out which guys aren't actually ready and or may never be ready, you're going to miss the opportunity to go add a guy in free agency or via trade this offseason who could really be that guy that you needed in 2018, but you didn't learn enough about the guys that you that you had in-house to know that you needed them in the first place. So I think you've got to roll those guys out and let them fight for it. I think that's the only way you do it at this point. Yeah, and... You know, I think all the guys you mentioned are probably in contention for that spot. I think, you know, a handful may land in the bullpen, but you know, a guy that never gets talked about that the Reds will still have under under control for next year is Tim Adelman. And you know, sure he's not that that highly touted guy, but you know, he'll he'll be in his age thirty season, but he's the second best pitcher that the Reds have in the rotation so far this year. So it's, it's hard. You know, I, I don't, I don't think you kind of, I don't think you put him in over some of the more prospecty guys, but you know, if none of those other guys pan out, Tim Adelman's probably that guy. 
And and you had uh, Dick Williams speak earlier this week about the idea that, or I guess it was Brian Price, it wasn't Dick Williams, uh, about the concept that Michael Lorenzen could still be a starter, and that's something yeah. that they haven't totally ruled out. I mean, that's that's yeah. another guy that you know, if obviously you've seen his peak talent at his at his best while being a reliever, but he's got starting experience. He's obviously got electric stuff, um, but you know, he he got shuttled out of the rotation due to a forearm issue um, that's not too dissimilar from the one that Anthony DiScofani is facing right now. You know, so who who are we to say that, that Anthony DiScofani is more of an, uh, a lock for the rotation next year than Michael Lorenzen is when they both are about the same age, have about the same service time, and have both fought through the same forearm slash elbow injury. So uh, if, if they are admitting that Lorenzen might be a guy who's capable of doing that, hell, he's on the table too, you know, and yeah. as he should be because nobody else has earned it. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting situation, and I think you know the Reds will actually have some pieces to deal if they can get you know some value out of some of these guys. If you know they might flip, they could flip Cody Reed or Robert Stevenson or put him in the bullpen or something because they just have too many starting pitching pieces right now, which is a, it's a crazy thing to think about, but that's where we are. <laughs> Yep, and with options and roster decisions and having to add guys before the Rule 5 draft this year, they're going to have to make a decision on a lot of guys. Like that's the you know yeah. that's the the one byproduct of a of a rebuild, much less a rebuild that's focused so much on guys that are near major ready, which is what the Reds chose to do. Uh that's a lot of guys that have had minor league experience, which also means there's a lot of guys that only have, you know, X amount of time before they've got to be on a 40-man roster or they're exposed. And so uh the Reds are going to have a whole pile of decisions to make. Uh, between now and that time. And the only way, like I said before, the only way you really get enough knowledge about that is to give them big league experience down the stretch and see what the hell they do. Well, with that, um, I'm going to call this episode. So uh, obviously um, we will be really watching the trade deadline and uh, we will be keeping that in mind. Um, We might have another episode before the trade deadline. We might not. Um, so the next time you hear from us, uh, either something will have happened or nothing will have happened. So, uh, <laughs> should be, should be fun. We're all points in between. <laughs> fun either way. So, um, but yeah, keep, uh, keep us in mind at red reporter on Twitter. Um, we'll let you know next time we do an episode and you can send in questions of your own and, uh, find us at redreporter.com. Uh, we're, we're there every day and, uh, for Eric and Wick. Peace out.